welcome back to the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute. Welcome back, one and all. This is the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute. We're uh, coming to you live from the Worldview Leadership Academy in Port Colborne, Ontario, and we are uh, down the hall. You might be able to hear some applause right now for our uh, our latest speaker. That's uh, that's Nate Wright, who's just concluded a session on uh, the law of God and its abiding validity. I'm here with Joe Boot and Chief Troublemaker Michael Thiessen. Woo, woo. <laughs> that, uh, we're going to have to cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> this is literally the first time that I've been on the podcast where Cromwell has not received a better welcome than myself. I'm so happy, I have to admit. That's only because he couldn't make it. That he's actually not in the Oh, we forgot about Crom. How is, how is Crom, by the way? Yeah, he's got a bit of a limp right now. <laughs> oh, sorry to hear. <laughs> All right, we should do a podcast about Cromwell. I miss that guy. <laughs> Shoot that dog. Yeah, he's, All right, here he's we got are. a bit of a limp, but apart from that, he's doing all right. Oh, too bad. Poor guy. <laughs> like Jacob. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> touched his hip. Angel touched it on the hip. Okay, uh, back to business. We're getting, uh, we're back to uh, today's recording uh, live from the Rathfont and uh, the uh, Worldview Leadership Academy. We have been in a series on uh, issues facing the church, and uh, we've had a, uh, a series on Christian pessimism, dealing with eschatology with uh, Andrew Sandlin, Christian socialism with uh, Ezra Institute fellow Graham Leach, talking about a, how there is such a thing as a biblical vision for economics, even though a lot of Christians don't seem to know that or think that way. And then... Uh, most recently, we had Dr. Aaron Edwards on talking about Christian cowardice and the need and uh, exhortation to speak up uh, clearly and faithfully, uh, uncompromisingly uh, for the, uh, the message of the gospel in the public square, heedless of the cost. So we, and uh, we're here today with, uh, with Mike Thiessen. We're going to talk about Christian courage. Uh, before we do that, uh, just a just a reminder that the only reason we are able to do any of this is because of your support. We're very grateful uh, for it. Uh, you can make uh, tax-deductible donations uh, in Canada, in the USA, and in the United Kingdom by visiting EzraInstitute.com. There is a uh, a donation option there. Uh, we are uh, we're grateful for uh, all of all of your all of your ongoing support that uh, that allows us to do uh, these programs, uh, this podcast, these camps, and uh, all all the things that uh, that we do. So uh, thank you for standing with us. All right, we're gonna uh, gonna get into today's Christian activities. Combat. Christian combat. Let's uh, let's read a couple of uh, let's read a, a passage here that uh, that deals with this. I'm gonna read from Ephesians six. This is perhaps uh, predictable, but it's predictable because it's uh, relevant. This is from Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the spiritual forces of darkness, 
against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything, to stand firm. So this, uh, this issue of Christian combat, uh, this is one, one passage out of many that we could have selected and some others that, uh, that we will examine of uh, this, this recurring martial theme, this militant uh, warfare theme that, uh, that runs throughout Scripture. And today specifically, uh, Mike, we've got you on. Uh, glad to have you, genuinely glad to have you with us mm. this week uh, as uh, offering chaplaincy work and uh, devotions and spe- uh, teaching and speaking. Uh, also in your capacity with Liberty Coalition Canada. And one of the things that uh, LCC has kind of put back on the table uh, over the past couple of years is the uh, the importance and the legitimacy and the need uh, to push back against the present uh, spiritual forces of darkness through le- legal and civil means. So that's uh, that's one of the one of the things that I'm going to get you to talk more about. But uh, before we before we get into some of the details, I just want to open it up to uh, to both of you, to Joe and to Mike. Uh, what uh, what is the I get the the Christian biblical rationale for availing ourselves of legal and civil uh, structures and uh, uh, instruments f- uh, for uh, to to win to uh, press this kind of combat uh, in the uh, the legal realm, and that's uh, it's kind of hard to express because it's for so long it seemed kind of distasteful or. Uh, out of frame for Christians even to talk about these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Well, great to have you with us, Mike, uh, to talk about these things. The um, the first thing I think to be said is that for, for many Christians, the whole notion or the whole idea, even the very title of our podcast, you know, Christian Combat, uh, for them, for some Christians, sounds oxymoronic. You know, uh, how can... A, a faith committed to peace, righteousness, uh, the the kingdom of God, uh, the kingdom of peace, the prince of peace, and so on, speak of a militancy, of combat, of of, uh, of of war, of a conflict. And yet that is precisely the language of the Bible, that, in fact, the scriptures describe God himself as a man of war. Right. And some of God's choicest servants were military men. I mean, the, the types of Christ, like King David, was a warrior. And uh, so the, the life and ministry of Joshua, Joshua is also a type of, uh, type of Christ. Uh, Abraham himself, the father of faith, uh, our father Abraham, was a warrior. You'll recall that when um, some of uh, Abraham's relatives are basically kidnapped and carried off. He gets 300 or so of his fighting men, uh, uh, straps his sword on, and off he goes and, and, and takes them back. So the uh, martial imagery is not foreign to the Bible. And as we get into the Newer Testament, you've just read one of the classic passages of martial imagery that we're in a, we're in a conflagration, a spiritual conflagration. It's a, it's a, it's a battle of cosmic proportions. And it is a it is a war, 
and therefore Paul actually elsewhere describes us as soldiers, um, as uh, those who are seeking to please our commanding officer, that we're in a battle, we're in a struggle, we're in a conflict. So that is one of the, the most important uh, images that um, we're, in a sense, commissioned to, to, to fight for the kingdom of God. Now, of course, the weapons we fight with are not carnal. It's not saying that our primary responsibility is somehow to take up the, the, the tank and the, 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 the shotgun and the rifle or the sword and conquer other kingdoms to make them Christian. No, the Christian gospel, the kingdom expands through the declaration of the gospel of the kingdom. But that very declaration of the gospel of the kingdom is engagement in a war, a spiritual war that manifests itself in the earth. There are even times when that will spin over to things like the ba basic self-defense. In Luke 22, you'll recall that Jesus told, because of what was coming, he told even his disciples to sell their cloak and buy a sword. Mm -hmm. um, we won't get into a lengthy discussion here. That will be a great subject for another podcast yeah, to talk I about. I want to come on that and specifically talk about gun control and gun rights and that'll be yeah, that Mike wants to, to come back and open up his uh, his gun <laughs> closet <laughs> we'll shoot that episode in Kentucky while shooting my AR-15 shoot that episode so that's a uh, that's a whole other interesting area of discussion and debate and I think it will be good to discuss the whole idea of just war theory self-defense and all of all of those things but that there's there there is a, an, an extension uh, into these various aspects of this of this martial imagery, and um, Paul um, as well, when it comes to the, the the question of whether we should, as Michael's ministry is increasingly taking him into in the Liberty Coalition Canada court cases, uh, uh, using the the law, using the our constitutional uh, rights, and so on to to fight against injustice, uh, unrighteousness, lawlessness, um, abuse, oppression, all of these things. This is a biblical mandate. And if you look uh, at the life of the Apostle Paul, his ministry, for example, you see that Paul was, was very willing and ready to appeal to his legal status as a Roman citizen to, for example, in uh, Acts 22, mm -hmm. uh, he refers to appeals to his status as a Roman citizen to avoid a flogging. He was about to just be flogged in an arbitrary fashion. Uh, he says, is it lawful, you, lawful for you to flog a Roman citizen? The, the soldier involved, the, um, the, 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 the member of the authorities there that was actually involved was actually afraid when he learned that Paul was yeah. a Roman citizen, especially when he learned that he was one by birth. Mm -hmm. and one of the natural <laughs> branches. <laughs> That's right, yeah. and not, not simply that he bought it, uh, like the like the commanding <laughs> officer who was actually going to flog him, who'd paid for his citizenship. So <coughs> Paul was ready to use that. And of course, in Acts 25, he famously appeals his case to Caesar. So he basically appeals to what we would call the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. He's ready to go all the way to the Supreme Court, which for Paul is going to involve a lengthy journey to Rome. Um, and of course, he appears at various stages in the book of Acts before Festus and Agrippa and Felix and so on. So he repeatedly finds himself in court, um, sometimes in prison too, but in court and actually fighting for uh, freedom, using those opportunities to declare the gospel, appealing to his status as a Roman citizen to avoid persecution, 
Um, there's nothing romantic about persecution. And I think part of the point of this episode as we get into uh, discussions with Michael now is that um, the romanticizing of persecution, the presumption somehow that uh, uh, this is somehow a sort of a good thing or an easy thing or is of no matter, this is a terrible mistake. Uh, that if we don't fight now for freedom, for liberty, in terms of the lordship of Jesus Christ, in terms of his word and his law, and the historic constitutional freedoms that have been bequeathed to us for be because of that very gospel, because of the influence of the gospel of the kingdom, because of the um, nascent character of the law of God in the Western constitutions, going all the way back to Alfred the Great and the first codification of English law, unless we uh, uh, fight for those rights and those freedoms, things that informed the great Magna Carta and so on, then we are very quickly going to find that those freedoms have vanished. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when, when, we, uh, when we get to the end of this, I'd like to actually just circle us back to this question of a people and a place and what it, why what Michael is engaged with um, at the Liberty Coalition, amongst other things, um, and what the team there is engaged with, what our friends at Christian Concern and the Christian Legal Center in England are engaged in, uh, in this struggle for freedom, in this combative side of the, of the Christian calling, which is so often referred to as shrill. You know, this is one of the accusations, oh, this is so shrill, this mm -hmm. is not ironic and winsome enough, you know, this is so... Scaremongering. Yes, fear-mongering, scaremongering. Oh, they probably deserved it. If they'd been more sensitive, if they'd just been more discreet, you know, yeah. all this sort of nonsense. No, we need faithful prophets in this space uh, who are going to, like Paul, say, is it lawful for you to do this? Yeah. I appeal to the high court. And if we don't do this now, the freedoms that we've got left are going to evaporate very quickly. Yeah. So I want to jump in on that very point, Joe, because there, there's two things that Paul was doing. He was asking whether it was legal, and then he was teaching what legality ought to be. And I'm, I'm going to return to that point about legality for a minute. So first of all, the reason, you know, talking about the tools we fight with, I'm just going to read some scriptures, ready? So uh, Jeremiah 1, 4 to 5, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as prophet to the nations. Psalm 2, talking about the nations trying to shake off the fetters of God and God laughing at them and mocking that, that, that them, the instruction then to the nations in Psalm 2, 2 and 11 and, uh, 10 and 11. Therefore, you kings, be wise and be warned. You rulers of the earth, serve the Lord and fear the Lord with, uh, sorry, and fear and rejoicing with trembling. Three, Nathan. Nathan tells this, this, this story to David about a man who has thousand cattle and then steals just the one from this 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 one lamb this one lamb and then he says you are that man mm. the role of prophet in the old testament was always to be social and spiritual commentators the the north american church the modern church in the same that we talk way that we talk about dualism in the same way that we talk about the, the you know 
this idea of there's a sacred realm and then there's a secular realm, the North American church has seemed to think that to comment on someone's spiritual condition is separate to comment on their social condition. When the role of the prophets was was seeing those both, your spiritual condition is reflected in the social way you behave with one another. So it is a, it is a they were socio-spiritual political commentators. So they were always confronting an actual king. They were always confront. So when Paul says that, he's taking his case to the Supreme Court to confront an actual thing that was manifesting itself in his life through a governmental system, and he's appealing to those courts. So the role of Liberty Coalition Canada is to um, define and establish the justice of Christ um, for Canadians, to help them understand. And, then, and we are happy partners with the Ezra Institute on this matter because we're we're, we're, we're thinking and we're talking about the, these things, but we're trying to help people understand we need to be warning the nations. And that's the role of a Christian, right? Christ says very specifically when, uh, all in, when we're to be like and salt that we will be treated like, the, like they treated the prophets of old because we will be commenting on people's spiritual condition and social condition at the same time. And when, when Jesus says, um, don't worry, the Holy Spirit will lead you when you are dragged off to court and give testimony, we also know that, that is a way that the gospel actually goes out. Mm -hmm. And the, again, this, this reflects how secular we really are in our thinking when people say, well, why would you preach the gospel in court? That's a bad witness. Yeah, <laughs> or, yeah or, 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 or it's somehow unfair to all the secularists and pagans in the court, like you've got to play on their turf there. You, well, the you fact that you're even in court is seen right. as increasingly a bad witness that if you speak up prophetically, yeah. right. if you resist tyranny, oppression, injustice, you're vocal about it, you appeal to the word of God, to Christ's lordship, to his law. In the last two or three years with the whole uh, uh, COVID debacle and the lawless indefinite um, and uh, unilateral lockdown of the church, and then to speak out against that, so many Christians say, bad witness. And yet the very <laughs> thing that, Je that Jesus says is going to happen, that when you give testimony in terms of my kingdom, my name, my, my gospel, and you speak for it, you're going to be dragged into the courts. That's the opportunity to bear witness. That's one of the key opportunities to bear witness. Mm -hmm. and, and, and we're not living this in the abstract anymore. And that does change this conversation quite a bit. Like as Joe yeah. says that, I have a court date. September 14th, I still face my charges, charges up to two years, up to hmm. $200,000. So up to two years in jail, up to $2,000 in fines. You might have to uh, sell your truck to... to, to, to Going to have a yard well, sale? But, but legitimately, <laughs> like... Yard uh, sale. So just, just so everybody knows, that's an inside <laughs> joke because... Uh, Joe sold me his last <laughs> truck. Yeah, yeah. I think you'd be more upset with me having to sell that truck than yeah, I would. probably right. But on that point... I'm I'm actually writing down what will I say in court for the sake of the gospel, mm -hmm. for the sake of law, because this goes back to my other question. So, so much of so many Christians are debating these issues and they're not even engaging with Christian constitutional lawyers. Mm -hmm. So so 
So many Christians are saying, oh, it's about your witness, and oh, th there's, this, there's this lobbying back and forth. And, and the constitutional lawyers that we have been working um, with, working with and, and exposed to, they're talking about the legality of the law. So there's this entire subject matter of the church understands the legality of laws. We get that from Scripture, and then we warn kings to make legal laws. Like that, that, that's mm. something, it, just because something is lawful doesn't does make it, doesn't make it make just it or righteous. So I think that's yeah, exactly for clarifying it. the point for people is what you're saying is, um, in terms of making legal laws, is that the, the, the law, the state in a given situation, is moving towards justice and righteousness and the, the normative structure of, of God's order uh, in terms of its legislation is that there is a higher, there must be a higher, higher judge law. and a higher law to yeah. see, well, is what they have legislated lawful in the eyes of God? Mm -hmm. is, it, is it just? Is it right? Yeah. Yes. Can the king sleep with every maiden in the land just because he makes a law that says so. And that is where we Christians need to engage with more specificity with the Christian constitutional lawyers that understand the word of God and the actual laws in front of us. And so that's what we're doing. And we're doing that to have, a, to have an offensive ministry, which is that prophetic ministry, which is that warning ministry. And then we're, we're doing that defensively as well as we see the corruption increase we're defending Christians who need legal defense. Mm. And so um, thank you for having me on the podcast, guys. This is really important to talk about. I've got a few very, um, <laughs> very glaring examples that we, we should look at as to where Christians need to wake up and understand the landscape. And well, these will be relevant, I think, for, for right. Whether it's our American listeners or our, our UK listeners, because there are similar things happening in the UK, not quite as far gone yet. But this is a this is a war. I mean, I've in the last few months, I've been speaking at a number of events in the United Kingdom, and uh, people are shocked, yeah, uh, at what I'm telling them about what is taking place in Canada. I know it's the same in the United States that they're yeah. absolutely shocked, but. These are the things that aren't just coming down the pike in Canada, but I think Canada gives us almost a, a very interesting Petri dish right now um, of where the, uh, the si we seem to be on a bit of a runaway train. And there, there are some you know, observant Americans. Uh, I'm thinking of uh, James White in particular, who's, who we've talked to about this, and he says it's like looking, looking at Canada from where he is in uh, Arizona. It's like looking 15 minutes into our future. Right. And, and in the reality, I think everybody who listens to my podcast and I've been on with you guys, they, they know that um, as a family, we've, we've one of my eldest sons is doing education down in the U.S. We've moved down there for some time and we're living in Kentucky. And the reality of it is, is it's state by state. You, know, mm -hmm. you see Michigan, you see California, you see New York, you see Massachusetts. And California looks very similar to, to Canada no, there, in terms of the legislation. There's a... There's an, uh, uh, Minnesota, uh, mm -hmm. the city of Minneapolis, has the Islamic call to worship going out five, five, five times a day in mm -hmm. Minneapolis. Like, so yes, the, the, the U.S., uh, th this is applicable to all of our listeners all around the world. It's really important. 
Do you guys want me yeah. to dive in? Or yeah, let's, what did you let's yeah. hear some specifics. I oh, think. yeah. No, I'll, uh, my only comment was that uh, just on Joe's uh, uh, mention that where there's criticism that this is this is a bad witness or this is, uh, you know, unwinsome. If you read through the uh, the book of Acts, read, read through the narrative. Paul is kind of an obnoxious guy. <laughs> Paul Paul is used mightily. Obviously, his his words are sacred scripture. I don't say that flippantly, but to the here's this you know from from the perspective of the magistrate, here's this itinerant, rabble rousing preacher who's stirring people up, and now like they try to get him uh, get him you know in front of the local court to uh, to make his case or to decide his case. He said, I, I'm, I'm a Roman citizen. I, I'm, I'm going to appeal to Caesar. Hmm. Like, what, what a pain in the backside that's, uh, that's got to be yeah. for the, those. So uh, now they've <laughs> got to get him all the way there yeah. safely. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and I think we have to understand that there's so many people the last, you know, last 20 years, I've heard this statement so many times. I, I follow Jesus. I follow the red letters. I don't follow Paul yeah. because of that. And I, I just want to qualify that. He was a clear man. And his clarity would have been viewed as obnoxious. His clarity would have been viewed as annoying. But we have to be careful not to read back into Paul our own weakness where we just can't, we just can't say anything with clarity anymore. Hmm. So I, I know where you were getting at. You weren't actually yeah. calling him obnoxious. You were saying he's going to be viewed as obnoxious. And then, yeah. well, try looking back at the prophets then. Like, Mm-hmm. Who is it? Was it Ahaz? Who, who uh, is this troubler who of is Israel? This troubler <laughs> of Israel? Like, yeah. yep. you know, I, you know, I do wish that our critics would just outright say, um, "Who is this troubler of Israel?" I, I, I would, mm-hmm. I, w- I don't mind that title because it just, it, it would help me uh, <laughs> know that I'm in the right spot. Okay, so look, I want to get right into something. Yeah, um, let's uh, let's guys, hear it. Bring so it to bring I'm it down gonna, for us. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna take the host role, Ryan. Just because I'm going to give you guys information, and I want you guys to spitball off of this now, okay? In the sense that this is an email. So I'm going to not tell you the church, but a church just received this email on Monday, July 3rd, 2023. They received this email from Rainbow Faith and Freedom. And the subject is, a few questions about inclusion. Hello, my name is Kayla. I am a researcher with Rainbow Faith and Freedom, a Toronto-based charity that directly confronts and ends religious-based discrimination against the 2SLGBTQ plus community. We are conducting research to collect information on best practices of places of worship which are inclusive and affirming the LGBTQ people and their allies, as well as better understand why and how places of worship are not inclusive to LGBTQ folks. As part of this project, I'm hoping to ask you a few questions. One, in corporations, places of worship, and the government, there is a focus on including the LGBTQ community. What are your thoughts on this expectation for inclusion? Number two, does your place of worship welcome folks who are part of the LGBT community? 
Number three, if yes, in what, day, in what ways do you welcome them? Number four, if yes, how do you inform LGBTQ folks they are welcome? Number five, if no, why not? Number six, does your place of worship allow same-sex marriage? Number seven, is your place of worship a safe place, a safe space for folks who are part of the LGBTQ community? Thank you for your time. I look forward to hearing from you. Now, those are all interesting questions, and I'm sure you guys will want to, we're going to maybe go back through one of those, two of those questions just for you to kind of talk about the implications of the nature of the question. But before we do that, we just did a little bit of an information request for information on Rainbow Faith and Freedom. So if you just go to their website, Rainbow Faith and Freedom is a movement to secure inclusion and affirmation for LGBTI people around the world by ending religious-based homophobia and transphobia. Their beliefs are, we believe a person's religious beliefs are part of their intersectional identity. <laughs> RFF advocates advocates for freedom of religion and freedom from religion. Number three, if religious-based homophobia is not directly confronted, the world will remain an unsafe place for LGBTI folks. A religious problem requires a religious response. Now, I wish that we had were able to earmark all of these things because there's so much here, but I'm not done yet. You don't get to <laughs> comment yet. Then if we do a little bit more research into this organization, we realize that on February 2nd, 2022, uh, Women and Gender Equality Canada, which is a right on the Government of Canada website, did a press release that within the $15 million LGBTQ project fund, Announced in 2021, the government of Canada, which is, is accepting further and further proposals uh, to spend that $15 million. And out of that $15 million, this organization that I just mentioned, the uh, Rainbow Faith and Freedom, will be sharing $800,000 of that funding. So... The Canadian government, it would be as if the Canadian government had just said to the Ezra Institute, we're supporting two organizations, we want to do a press release, we want to announce it, and we're giving the Ezra Institute $400,000. That's not what's happening, I don't think. <laughs> what's happening I haven't had any comments yeah, there. Yeah, you, yeah. Joe? No, no checks. No, no direct okay. emails, right, guys? <laughs> no. So check on my, this. Check my spam this folder. A, this <laughs> is a government-funded organization that is now directly contacting churches to interrogate them, and then they also... And is it the case that they're using the Government of Canada logo at the bottom of those emails? The copy and paste that I received looked like that was the case, but I can't confirm that they're doing that for all of them. Okay. But either way... You can go to the Government of Canada website right now where they've committed to $400,000 of funding or, or a, a sharing $800,000 of funding uh, to two organizations. One of those organizations is this one. And this organization is now calling churches, emailing churches to investigate them. Mm -hmm. This is 
real stuff. This is on the ground. You got in the, in the backdrop of Bill C four mm-hmm. being passed. Yep. So what if a pastor responded to this and Bill and C thirty four coming uh, say, says uh, we do not allow for same sex marriage, mm-hmm. and that is an immediate uh, that is an immediate acknowledgement of somewhere in the pulpit, in the pastoral counseling, in the discipleship program that somewhere, according to the government of Canada, that church could be construed as conversion therapy. Could yep. be construed as conversion therapy. Because yeah. if you don't allow same-sex marriage, then at some point you're, you're counseling you're against counseling it. Against it. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, one of the things that struck me immediately about this is that in the name of doing research, which we know this has got nothing to do with uh, with with a genuine desire to interact with with churches, it looks like the object is to be compiling a list of, you know. Because that all of the information of churches is publicly available, of course, for an organization like this. They'll be steadily compiling a list of those churches that are not deemed to be uh, friendly in this area, in the way that they define friendly, uh, accepting of, embracing, celebrating the radical agenda. All that to talk about intersectionality is all critical theory. That's all German mm-hmm. um, m- Marxism, neo-Marxist critical theory. Um, so it's a it's a it's a it's a sort of neo-pagan slash Marxist uh, agenda. Even if many of these people don't even understand where their their thought form has actually emerged from, that's that's its origin. And the goal seems to be the compiling of a list of institutions and churches that would be non-compliant, all done on clearly political activity on the basis of a charitable ticket. The the very thing that's questioned and challenged for Christian organizations making known the gospel or giving women information about uh, care uh, in in the midst of an, of an unexpected pregnancy that was part of the Liberal Government of Canada's pledge, of course, was to get rid of the charitable status of those organizations. Yep. Here we have an activist organization funded by the government that is, by the federal government, that is charitable, whose clear purpose is to identify those that are outside of state orthodoxy uh, on this issue. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty chilling. They've got it. There's other organizations like the Anti Hate Network, uh, again, which I believe is charitable. It, uh, I think t- it had received some sort of one-time uh, government, government funding. funding. I can't recall offhand, but uh, I but yes, there you can check that. But uh, they are they have been recipients of state funding. Yes, and they seem to be. Um, th- 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 there's there's rather a plethora now of these organizations cropping up uh, in this space of uh, research in the name of research we're researching hate um i mean the answer as as i was listening to you read that michael for a church like that if they're going to respond at all is to say absolutely yes we're welcoming to anybody and everybody who wants to hear the gospel of the good news of the lord jesus christ uh who and, and they will hear a message about the love of god the righteousness of god the goodness of god the justice of God, the holiness of God, the law of God, and that we need to repent of our sin, including our sexual sin, and turn to Christ. 
because such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. Yeah, the message of the gospel is all-inclusive. All have sinned, and all have fallen short of the glory of God, mm. and all must come to the foot of the cross and repent, place their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and receive the regenerating work of the Spirit and the power of a changed life. So, yes, the gospel is all-inclusive. It's not all-inclusive in the way that they want, of course, which is that sin must be celebrated even in the church. Space, we must pull out the most comfortable chair for sin and rebellion and apostasy and uh, pull out the most comfortable chair and ask uh, sin to sit down and make uh, a, 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 a comfortable space for themselves in the heart and life of the church. No faithful church can ever comply with such a demand. Mm -hmm. It would be in violation of everything that we believe and everything that we preach and everything that the gospel represents, whether it's because we're adulterers or fornicators or liars or thieves or kidnappers or slave traders or whatever it may be, or people practicing homosexuality or any other kind of sin. All of these things need to be repented of. We need to come to, to Christ, and we need the power of a changed life. We need to be cleansed and washed and renewed. And contra Justice Minetti, uh, of the uh, who was, I believe, behind the um, or at least influential within the uh, the crafting of um, Bill C four that the that Christian teaching about marriage and human sexuality and identity is a myth. Uh, no, it isn't a myth. It's the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're either going to go with the Minister of Justice, so called, um, uh, and his teaching about what it means to be human. Or we're going to stick to the teaching of Jesus in the church. What is the yeah. obligation that's placed upon the pastor, upon the elder, upon the Christian in the life of a church? Is to say, stay faithful to Christ and his word. Yeah, absolutely. I would also suggest or suspect that uh, you read out some of the, like, the questionnaire questions that, uh, that they're asking of each church. I would suggest that, uh, or suggest on the one hand, uh, Failing to uh, to answer one of those or anything less than a uh, you know, a full throated response, Joe. I think you've articulated you know a, a perfect template for a response, but failing to offer a anything but a you know a hearty endorsement uh, in 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 response to those leading questions is going to get your church put on the naughty list, so to speak. That's right. Or uh, no response at all. Or no response, and this is like. Which is funny because you know all all three of us have spent time working in churches. You all know how many mountains of email uh, a church receives from anyone and everyone who's got some kind of project and thinks oh, you know the church is well, a presence in a community, a uh, you know a outreach organization, a charitable organization. I went. I wonder if I can so use this church, leverage this church's influence to advance my pet thing. And just procedurally, uh, just so, you know, some practical advice for the rainbow uh, faith and freedom, you're going to get a lot of non-responsiveness. This is going to go <laughs> this is going to go to a junk folder. It's not going to be seen. Uh, or if it is seen, it's going to be it's going to be dismissed. Uh, that's uh, based based on my experience, I'm sure you can bear me out as well, you guys. Uh, the uh, There's going to be 
the the response rate is going to be probably disappointing. Well, I, I want to go back to what the two of you both started with. So Joe's starting point is that this is going to be the compilation of a list. And Ryan's yep. starting point with unless you fully endorse, you know, unless you go onto their website, copy and paste the answers that they want and put them back that you're going to get on the naughty list. And I want to start there because this is where we kick in. Yeah. So this is where we're doing an awareness campaign on this. So we're starting with you guys. Uh, uh, Tim and I are going to do a podcast on this on the other club next week. Uh, Andrew and Matthew will likely dig hard and, and track this. And at some point, it'll come up in the Liberty Dispatch. So you have a public awareness campaign just making Christians aware. Like these, these guys are coming. You know, it's, uh, uh, again, like I, I, I've been at lunch recently with people where I say, I think charitable, they're coming for our charitable status, and here's why. And I mentioned the CBC article that was written about all of us. And I mentioned the fact that the last line of that article all of a sudden randomly brought out charitable status issues. Well, isn't it interesting that this is the very first question on this survey is in corporations, places of worship and government, there is a focus on including the LGBT community. What are your thoughts on this expe expectation for inclusion? Like that is that is that is I right at the heart of the of trying to. You know, do you think it's okay that a charity, that an incorporation, mm -hmm. ought to? And they're going mm -hmm. to use our own words against us, or they're seeking. Mm -hmm. Sorry, they're going to twist. They're going to use our own words against us, either by twisting them, or simply by saying. That's what they said. Or so your your silence will incriminate you further. Sure, but but there's but, no but, take in the fifth. But yeah. even on this on this point, like there might be some Christians who feel tempted to say, Yes, there is a responsibility without understanding what's really going on. That they're well, like the summer jobs uh from exactly. a few years ago, sort mm. of orthodoxy test to, to see if you would get government funding for students on their Absolutely. summer internships and so on, that if you yeah. weren't inclusive, if you weren't uh, uh, basically seen to be progressive on the abortion and identity and sexuality issues, then you were going to be struck off the list for for um, for, for receiving, for, for receiving exactly for, for interns in the summer. That yeah. was an early kind of version of this, but I think this is more nefarious. Uh, what we're seeing now, I mean, if you combine these sorts of what we might call pseudo private sector research projects, I mean, that's all they are. They're su they're not really private they're not charitable really sector. Arms length. They're not arms length. They're, they're this is government, state, federal government <coughs> bidding that's being done by these yeah. organizations. You combine that with legislation like C four. I think like the forthcoming bill C thirty four. There's bill two six one. I mean. You put start putting these things together, and and you reflect then also on the past two three years and the way in which government acted, and has acted, uh, to enforce certain things. Um, this ought to be profoundly not just profoundly concerning. It ought to stir Christians to action. And and that's where I was. That's where I was going with this. And I want us to be careful not to like. Um, I want us to be careful not to get detracted with this point, but there are still Christians who are struggling to see all of this and just because they're not observing it. 
and what we are doing at Liberty Coalition Canada and in, in, in partnership and friendship with the Ezra Institute is you're teaching and you're, and you're making people aware. And now people know that this organization called. And now churches should know, hey, reach out together. We need to talk about how we respond to these things. And that leads to the second thing that we're doing, and that's we're coordinating. So it's not just a one-off lonely prophet out in the desert screaming into the wind. It's a thousand prophets standing in the uh, in Queen's Park and and making uh, a, a real impact with their voices as of course as we've experienced over the last number of years and and helping them not do that with the right information because we've all been on the wrong side of an argument. You know, we've all said things in the past that were erroneous. And so when you take a statement, you ask these questions and you put that by a lawyer, say, should we answer that? What should we do? I is that even like th that they're asking that? I are those questions in and of themselves coming from a government funded organization mm -hmm. that states explicitly that it wants to end religious, wants to end mm -hmm. that's eschatological language mm -hmm. like yes that's triumphalism that's uh it's kingdom that's language to yeah. that's totalitarian language a you religious know, problem requiring a religious response mm -hmm. at least wow. they're admitting it wow I mean, right that's a, that's a right. drop moment isn't it finally they're admitting that their position and the position of the federal government by extension is fundamentally religious we saw it with bill C4, yeah, you know, that the reducing Christian teaching to mythology and replacing it with pagan ideology. This is an, an, a, an admission that at the core of political life is a religious commitment and that a religious view that sees human identity, male and female, human sexuality, marriage as something that's defined by God, that is a religious view that must be opposed by a counter-religion. And they're acknowledging it right there in black and white, that that is fundamentally what they're about. And, and you can take that statement that way, and then you can also take it as it's your problem, and so now you're going to solve it. Meaning, it's not just enough for the government to be happy with our religious intersectional identity politics. Mm. You mm. religious people, that's people right. have to come up with your, your own religious response. religious response, which is yeah. conform your religion to, to our, our religion. religion. Yeah. yeah, Like, this is happening today, people. Yeah. Like, it is happening <laughs> July 3rd. So you could see it, what you're saying is you could see it also as a recruitment drive, right? Uh, you religious leaders, your religious these churches and yes. institutions, oh, this is, so this mm. is the you media. must conform yourselves you must demonstrate that you are showing religious leadership in altering the religion of your own church, yes. of your own institution. And if you think yeah. of the way, yeah. we were just talking about this at lunch, if you think of the way that statism has grown in the past, it is the expansion of ministry oversight, and then it is the offering of inclusion into that ministry oversight through positions. And so, yes, it's a temptation we saw this. I, I said saw this it in the Soviet Union. I saw it in Nazi Germany. And I saw that. I, I said this about the CBC article. The CBC article 
made this statement, we have really no problem, and they created a new phrase, mainstream evangelicalism. Mm. We've never heard that phrase before. We've always talked about mainline denominations. Yes. We've never heard mainstream evangelicalism. And <laughs> so juxtaposed they, with a more reformed Calvinistic brand of, of uh, far right. Yes, that's right. Of evangelicalism. Of evangelicalism. Yeah. Like, yeah. Because there's much that we share with uh, evangelicals that w- you know we might be at odds with right now in this cultural moment. And so, yes, you're right. This is both. And maybe this Michael is, is not the carrot and the stick. Is, yeah, I was mm. going to say, is not part of the purpose of that then that you by again by basically a massively state-funded institution like the CBC uh, doing that radio program, doing that article, and making that distinction between mainstream evangelicals oh and this rather extreme group over here these who take this very hard reformed calvinistic line supposedly um isn't the temptation there exactly what you're describing which is then for christian leaders and christian churches to look at that and say oh we don't want to be identified with that extreme group we want to be in the mainstream because the mainstream is being accepted by the uh the, the secular state as those who aren't trying to uh um, realize biblical values in all corners of society Mm. Um, and uh, of course we've always said you know we do not impose we prophetically propose what is what is to be uh, what is right and good for society Um, and but this notion it was interesting the way they, they they made that division the mainstream evangelical is not interested in the application of biblical values in society. But this group over here is. Now, isn't the temptation there manifest again in this letter, in what this organization is doing, which is to say, which which side do you want to be on? Because mm. you can be on the acceptable side. Yeah. You can be on the side that is embraced and is part of this inclusive society where you can, you can have your license, go worship Jesus. That's no problem because you're inclusive. You don't want to be on this side. You don't want to be on the in the naughty chair. You don't want to be on this extreme end. I do think that's a really important point that you've made there. That there is that, that they wanted to very publicly in federal media now start drawing a new distinction. It's no longer the main line, as you say, liberal churches and evangelicals. It's now we're going to dr- we're going to make a dividing line right through the middle middle of evangelical faith. The basically the faith that shaped Canada. Protestant Christian faith. We're now going to make a new division there, and it's going to be one that says one wants biblical values for society, the other's not interested in that. N- no, I, I, I think that you have the carrot, the stick, and the scapegoat mm-hmm. all created, mm-hmm. all within what we're seeing unfold right now, and that is why we have to have a consolidated, uh, advised, counseled, constitutional, biblical response. And that takes time, and you've got to coordinate it. Because, okay, so carrot. Carrot is, well, all you have to do is answer it, and you're on the A-list. Show that you're inclusive and you're... Stick. This could get people into the church. (laughs) <laughs> well, and again, like, I, 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 I'd i be concerned with a flippant answer to this. And what, I, what I mean by that, I'd be, I'd be concerned with a lot of churches writing lukewarm answers yeah. to this uh, yeah. just to get away with it. 
Yeah, for sure. So you have the carrot and then the zealots. Like you better remember, like the the actual liberals, the actual mainline churches, they're jumping all over. This. They're gonna love this. They're gonna get state funding. They're gonna be on the A list. They're gonna be promoted. They're gonna be the new church, the new state sanctioned church. Well, and the there's going to be a temptation to be there. To be on that ironic list, you mean? So y you seem to be saying there's the people that are on board already in some of the mainline churches who are gonna love this. Then there's another category of the evangelicals who are gonna say. We could be winsomely ironic on this form and kind of go along with this a bit and show how inclusive we are without being clear about biblical teaching. Well, that's, that's the second category. The because yeah. So for the people who want to be zealots, there's a true carrot here. Potential government funding in the future, to being on an A-list, that that being on a, a, a state-approved church that the state mm. doesn't bother you, you know. Then they've the state administration for religious affairs, it's called in communist China, hmm. Michael. Right. The state churches... They say you're allowed to preach the gospel. That's no problem. And what they mean Truncated the gospel. gospel. Yeah, you can preach, that's fine. Yeah. You can't obviously criticize government. You can't, you can't apply the lordship of Christ in any way, yeah. the kingdom of God. But you can preach the gospel in advert. You can preach that Jesus died for your sin. For your sin and and you report to the state administration for religious affairs. Right. And so this then they've got the stick for all of those people in between. So they're, well, we know what the end goal is. It's to end religious bias against inclusion mm -hmm. so the stick is there to go okay I, i'm not a zealot i don't this doesn't motivate me with a carrot but i am motivated by the stick mm -hmm. so you've got the whole church that's tempted tempted to just say i i don't want to be on the radar so they still they still make it onto the a list but they're there reluctantly and they're they're motivated by the stick mm -hmm. and then the state has also created the scapegoat of the Naughty list mm -hmm. where they get to turn around and say deplorables, deplorables, <laughs> punishables. That's right. And we were talking about people with unacceptable views, Michael, the, the fringe minority. <laughs> um, and so uh, we make people aware of this. And when you get on that B list and then you start dealing with legal problems, we at the Liberty Coalition Canada want to be there to have legal advice and legal support when we can offer it and when we can raise the support to do it. So this is a perfect example of like how deadly serious this is. I've This is one church that I read the email from. I've received this, uh, a similar email from three churches now. So if you're sitting at home thinking it's not coming for you. So these emails, you're saying that the e these emails are going out widely already. Yeah, this, this, this organization is doing research. Mm -hmm. Mike, uh, is there anything sort of right now before sort of taking official counsel that uh, the churches can or should be doing? Where, where should we, or like sh what, uh, what sort of lines or what sort of steps or procedures should churches be, uh, be pursuing uh, in this moment right now in the, uh, if we want to call it like an eye of a storm kind of uh, kind of moment. Yeah, I, I have a few thoughts right there. Um, first, stop trying to hide from the media and being private. Mm -hmm. So um, there are churches who are forwarding this information out to us for the purpose of teaching and telling people about what's going on. And then we are also hearing about an, another group of churches that are I'm getting the same type of information with the caveat, please don't talk about this publicly. 
And there are some cases that I will not share with you guys right now that have nothing to do with Liberty Coalition Canada because there's churches going through problems and they're trying to avoid anybody figuring out that someone in the LGBTQ community is going hard after them. They just don't want it. And what that does is it isolates you mm. and it makes you very weak. I, you know, um, I'm not sure, I'm not sure how many of our government officials are going to be listening to this. And if you're trying to figure out your strategies about how to deal with all of the them, church, they all listen. <laughs> right. Exactly. Hi, <laughs> um, Trudeau. But um, I don't actually think that that it's going to be the churches who are public and strong and prophetic that are going to be picked off first. No. I think it's going, these people are trying to deal in an animalistic type of way with human beings and they're going to study uh, look for the, the weak one that's nature, straggling on the, on the edge look of for the pack. Weak one. Yep. So don't stay out of the media. Don't stay out of the fight. Get loud. Um, don't get proud. That That's just get loud and get courageous and get strong. Um, yeah, I know everyone's smirking because we know what get loud, get proud means. Like we, we do want to have a posture of confidence and moral authority without falling in, into obnoxiousness. But you can't, if you isolate yourself in your church, this type of stuff's going to terrify you. Mm -hmm. If you don't isolate, you'll go, oh, wow. Like, okay, we're, we're journeying together. So that would be number one. Make the decision to stop hiding from the media. Number two, I'd suggest make the decision to stop talking to the media until you talk to some other Christians who are going through this. Yep. So again, even with that article with the CBC, one of the men that they interviewed mm -hmm. who they took and pretended like he was an enemy was not our enemy. No. And did an hour and 20 minute interview with them and they took one sentence one of sentence. what he said. Yep. So be careful how you interact with media before you go and receive some counsel. And again, Liberty Coalition Canada, information at Liberty Coalition Canada, uh, churches, uh, it's either church or churches at inf uh, Liberty Coalition Canada. All these things are on our website where you can reach out and say, hey, this is what I'm going through, exactly what these people did. What should I do about it? In fact, before we had this podcast, I responded to that church and said, how do you want us to respond? You've shared this information with us. How do you want us to respond? And they said, oh, we'd like you to do an information. Like, would you share with other people what we're going through? Okay, good. We'll go ahead and do it. So, so it's not like we're it's not like at the Ezra Institute or Liberty Coalition Canada when, when we're kind of talking about these matters where we totally disrespect someone else's in intention. If someone shares with us in confidence, we keep it in confidence. So, you know, decide to not be alone. Receive counsel. That's what we're here for. And then three, um, we all need to be parting. I, I know everybody's asking for money. You guys are asking for money. We've, we've got to get some money in the coffers. We've got to get a war chest set up so that we have a team of lawyers ready to go and take these Christians with wise counsel through the courts to proclaim the gospel, to manifest the kingdom, and to teach about the rule of law. And it is really that simple because as many people have appreciated the ministry of the Ezra Institute when it comes down to reforma reformational thinking, just last week, James Kitchen, our chief litigator, I got a call from a couple in a panic, up upcoming court date, 
what do I do? I called uh, James, and he said the courts have already decided on that, so we can't we 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 can't legally uh, go anywhere. But I'll jump on the phone, and I'll give them counsel. It took him one hour. He charged that one hour to Liberty Coalition Canada, and that couple received peace. They received advice. They received a strategy. This is what we've got to start gearing up for. Mm -hmm. And um, I am thankful for you guys on the front lines with us. I'm thankful for the thought that comes out of the Ezra Institute that really then I, I basically sit, uh, I sit in between those of us who are trying to theologically reflect about these things then in, like with James who is in court on the ground and try to be that public awareness uh, in advocacy. the middle. Advocacy. An advocate mm. in the middle. And so um, we've got a number of advocates that are doing this, and we take on different little roles to do this, but that's essentially what we're doing. And, and guys, this is vital. Sorry, this is vital. That's it's not vital. It that's might a be good word. And uh, <laughs> we got to figure out how to use that word. We need yeah, some new good. words. That's yeah. yeah. All right. Well, Put that we one down. As we, um, th that's a good summary. And I think as we sort of wrap this up, um the it's in the it's in the name you know w w the liberty coalition canada was conceived actually at a, a meeting of pastors at the ezra institute uh, as we were thinking and praying about what was needed in a challenging time for the church and uh, uh in in some respects we would uh, we would say that the the thinking the reflecting that we were we were doing together as as a think tank as a training ministry to think about you know sphere sovereignty the lordship of jesus christ what does that demand at this time helped us to birth the liberty coalition mm -hmm. canada and and um and see you thriving in it michael um and uh the, th the different components this this prophetic advocacy that you're doing and then the standing with you know there's this uh, uh, rather it's not, I was going to say chilling, but I would say sobering is a better word. There's this sobering text when Paul is in one p uh, place on trial and he says, I stood alone. Everybody deserted me. I stood alone. Uh, that shouldn't have happened. No. That shouldn't have happened. Paul's not saying this is good. That's right. He was describing the situation that he was in and nobody should, should stand alone. And the and the Liberty Coalition Canada is there to make sure that believers in these situations don't stand alone, but know what the liberty of the gospel really means. And you know, Christ says, "If the Son sets you free, you will really will be free." It's about liberty. And I I want to end with this thought, really, that the gospel, the paradigmatic story of the gospel in the Bible, is the Exodus. Uh, Pharaoh, in many respects, is uh, a type of Satan. Um, Moses is the deliverer. Is, he's the type of Christ. And the people of God uh, are enslaved to sin and death. I mean, that's the, this, is the, this is the paradigmatic image yeah. of the Exodus. Paul makes very clear that Christ, our Passover lamb, our Passover has been sacrificed for us. So we know that the exodus is that paradigm that moses and elijah speak to jesus about on the mountain of transfiguration they talk about the exodus 
the exodus he is about to accomplish. And here is, I think, the one of the things I've ref reflected on deeply over the last year or two about uh, that m the marvelous deliverance that God worked in the exodus is that it concerned both a people and a place. And I think sometimes we stop short at the people. We stop short at the church and we forget about the place. Why was it that God needed to free his people? He said to Moses in Exodus 4, I'm sending you and here's the message you're going to give Pharaoh. Israel is my firstborn son. Let my son go that he may serve me, right? that he may worship me. And that tells us something very important. It was not possible for the Hebrews to fulfill, the people of Israel to fulfill their kingdom calling while enslaved under the boot of Pharaoh in Egypt. They didn't have the, the freedom. They didn't have the necessary liberties mm. to serve the purposes of the kingdom of God. So what did God do? And uh, let's notice that it wasn't, this wasn't uh, an ethnic thing. What did God do? He sent Moses, uh, and he, of course, delivers the message to Pharaoh. We know that if we're believers, we should know the Exodus account, the plagues that God sends upon Egypt. It's a confrontation between the living God and the false god Pharaoh, who believed himself to be a son of the sun god Ra, uh, who, who was thought to command the Nile, who represented the static religious order of Egypt. It's a standoff between the god of the hills, who Pharaoh assumed he's just the god of the hills, the god of the Israelites, and the god of Egypt. And of course, the god, the living god, wins, hardens Pharaoh's heart, brings his judgments upon Egypt. And it says that they left Egypt a mixed multitude. There were Egyptians mm -hmm. who yeah. believed the word of Moses, put the blood on the doorposts, ate the Passover meal, and left. And what happened to that people? They, they leave slavery, and but free from what to be what. Mm -hmm. they, they, freedom wasn't an end in itself. They were liberated so that they could worship and serve God. And how did that happen? Well, they are led through the Red Sea, and then the people of God are given God's kingdom manifesto, the law of God. And then, of course, God raises up. We're told in Deuteronomy 4 that the giving of that law to the nation had a specific purpose, that all the nations around would look at Israel and say, who has a God like this God? Who has a law so just? So righteous is this law that has been yeah. given to them. And then the missionaries start going to the nations. Jonah is sent to the heart of the Assyrian Empire and so on. But the point is that, the, that Joshua is then raised up. So here's a kingdom people armed with a kingdom manifesto, uh, with the, with the also with the, the model of the tabernacle, the atonement. So law and blood, God's covenant. Here's a kingdom people called out, redeemed with 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 law and blood, with the covenant, God's covenant law, his covenant promises being sent to the nations and Joshua raised up to then conquer the land. It was impossible that that people should have been uh, received God's law, his manifesto, been sent out on a mission if they'd still been enslaved in Egypt. So it wasn't just about a people, it was about the place that God had for his people to be a light to the nations. The place that he had appointed 
uh, that they could live out obedience to his law word, worship and serve him. And of course, that moves in the newer covenant, not simply uh, that, that, that land in Palestine that's the inheritance, but under the new Joshua, the Lord Jesus Christ, a people that go out in terms of inheriting the whole earth. Now, that mm. means fundamentally that we cannot serve God faithfully in Canada, in England, in the United States, in Great Britain, in Africa, in Asia, in Australia, in New Zealand, wherever we are in South America, in the world today, unless we are free. We cannot fully serve. How can we apply God's, how can we truly preach the gospel of the kingdom in the context, Michael, that you have described? where in the in the bill c4 context in the bill c34 context mm -hmm. right the people of god are bound up if you're enslaved you're not free to apply the law of god you're not free to apply the gospel you're not free to live out the gospel even in the life of your own church and family it's about a people and a place canada was a place it used to be a place where uh, like a beacon a free nation where the, from sea to sea, he shall have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth, where the gospel of the kingdom could go forth and people could live as people who were free, not using their freedom as a cover-up for evil. The United States was the same. Yeah. Spurgeon made this point about England, um, especially November 5th, when um, you know two, 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 two very important events happened November 5th, it was the foiling of the gunpowder plot. It was the center of the reformed faith at the time. And there was the arrival of King William III during the Glorious Revolution. Hmm. It was a place from which the gospel could not only spread throughout England, but then could go from England to the rest of the world, just like it went from Scotland and the United States in the 20th century, that it could spread out from a free people. It was a people and a place. What missionaries are being sent from North Korea? Right, what freedom is there for the advancement of the gospel of the kingdom in North Korea? This is what we Christians in the West have got to get our heads around. Liberty is part of the meaning of the gospel. And it's why the church, the early church, stood against statism and the pagan state and the emperor cult. And they said, no, we're not offering incense on the old deceased. We don't want your license to go and worship Jesus. Jesus Christ is Lord. And... All kings and governments must serve him as his diaconate. And that must again be our message because there must be both a people. Paul went to Rome because he knew there must be a people and a place. He appealed to Caesar because he knew there must be both a people and a place. Let my son go that he may serve me. And I think that's the central really ultimately to what the Liberty Coalition is about. It's central to what the Ezra Institute is about teaching that law of liberty mm -hmm. and teaching the gospel of the kingdom so that there might be both a people and a place whereby we might serve and worship the lord yeah and it uh, it's if if it's not if it's not that if it's not comprehensive and total there's there's no point to it it's well, uh, it's an interesting academic exercise that's uh, right <laughs> yeah and, and i think it's it's really important and this might be you know, fodder for another podcast on this, but this is where people get confused. The church is confused that freedom means license. Mm. So it is somehow restrictive or unkind 
or harmful. That's a very important world in the word in the Canadian context right now. The left is using the word harm. They're mm. twisting it, and, and Christians are believing that to, to preach uh, the kingdom, uh, preach the gospel, which includes all of these very important instructions for life just beyond how to get saved, mm. that that is somehow harmful and wrong to someone who is a secularist. So there's that side where you've got Christianity falling on that side who thinks, oh, that you shouldn't be doing it because freedom equals license. And then you have the other side, and 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 Joe, you actually this like, you guys might need to, um, really r repeat this and, and come at this people in place thing because mm -hmm. some people are going to take what you say and they're going to say, well, that is coercion towards, um, repentance. Like you're not just creating a legal environment so that people are free to worship God but that you're coercing the, the, the worship of the Lord. And of course, that's not what we're talking about either. What you're talking about is that paganism is expressed in a totalizing antichrist um, kingdom, that, that when paganism flourishes, it leads to a totalizing state that imposes its religion. Yeah, it leads to a and power state where liberty becomes non-existent. Right, and and a Christian, uh, in uh, when Christians influence the state to reflect God's vision for government, it produces actual liberty to worship God, to order a society, and it is more gracious with the rebels who are who are who are going to want to rebel than most. Um, most secularists or pagans are ever going to be. Mm -hmm. And so it, it might be worthwhile going into that, but I, I really appreciate that because you, you're absolutely right. The, the Liberty Coalition Canada is, is existing to, to help the church flourish and you know, be the muscle, to you know, tr try to be the muscle to push off all the statists saying you can't do what God's called you to do. Mm -hmm. So... I know that I probably just opened another can of worms that ought not be open, so you'll have to <laughs> podcast on that another time. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll suppress a couple of these things and Dang, just. Dang, uh, Jason! If we ha if we only had Cromwell, <laughs> this would have been great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you bringing us full circle like that, yeah, Michael. I'm uh, very thematic that way. We are uh, we are grateful in support of uh, of your work with the Liberty Coalition Canada. It's uh, it is a privilege to to stand and labor together with y'all. Uh, this concludes our time for today. It's been a great discussion. I remind you as ever that from him and through him and to him are all things. May God be glorified and we'll be back next week with a new episode.